Chicas underway here on ESPN Plus. Sebi Salazar and Hercules Gomez. Her we've been spending a lot of time together between this show and the League's Cup. Other than that, how have you been? <laughs> I'm okay. Did you sleep? I felt like I got on. I connected at home at 2 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I left that room, and that game was barely over. Mm. It must have been like 4 a.m. for you. How are you doing? Yeah, we were the fortunate ones on the Pumas NYCFC call last night that endured a three-hour weather delay, and then they said, yep, we're going to play it. So, yeah, I think we finished up around 1 a.m. Eastern time. Not <sighs> ideal, but nevertheless, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. For those that have friends, maybe you don't have ESPN+, Plus, but you want to share in what is Football Americas, just tell them. They can download the podcast for free. Just search in the ESPN FC feed wherever you download your pods. On today's show, which will become tomorrow's podcast, we're going to interview Mark Wilf, the new owner of Orlando City SC in Major League Soccer, also the new owner of Orlando Pride in the NWSL. We're also going to hear from our good buddy Alex Pareja over at ESPN Deportes, who's going to help us herc with a CONCACAF-themed, a U.S.-Mexico player-themed La Liga preview. But let's start with the joyous news of the day, Herc. It is FIFA rankings day. I mean, this is just the best ever. And how about this? We have not one, but two CONCACAF teams into the top 10. The U.S. joins Mexico up 10 spots from number 20 all the way into 10. Mexico in at number 9. It is the highest that the U.S. has been since way back, Herc, in 2006. And between U.S. and Mexico, it could signify the end of Mexico's run of 61 straight FIFA rankings in which El Tri has been ahead of the U.S. That dates back to August 2015. So obviously, Herc, this is going to grab headlines. U.S. top 10 team uh, in the world. Is it a big deal or not for U.S. soccer? Sort of. Let me explain why it's sort of a big deal. Way to sit on the fence, deal. buddy. Way to sit on well, the fence. Well, let me explain. A little context, if you will. Mm -hmm. If you're a top seven team in these rankings, when it comes to the pots for the World Cup, you can be head of your group. So a potentially easier road to what would be a final. Easier, correct, right? Yeah. So there. Uh, but also, if you're a top 10 team in these rankings, it's an easier road for your domestic players to go play in a country like England to gain a work permit. It's much easier. So, so for that, yes, it's going to be easier, and it means something. But are you trying to tell me that the U.S. men's national team beat teams like Honduras, beat teams like what was it, Martinique, beat teams like Haiti, beat teams like Canada, and Qatar, and, and moved up 10 positions in the world's rankings? Everybody should come play in CONCACAF. That's what I mean. If that's all it takes, come on. Come on ahead. Are you trying to tell me that it's better? Can I read you the names of the teams here? Are you trying to tell me that it's better than Denmark, than the Netherlands, than Uruguay, than Switzerland, than Germany, than Colombia, etc.? If that's what it takes, come on down. Come on, man. So a couple quick notes here uh, on the work permit thing, you know, because we do see a lot more American players either going to England or potentially trying to get into England. Basically how it works is the worst your national team is ranked, you got to play in a bigger percentage of the games Correct. to qualify for that work permit. So you're going to take the job of an Englishman. If your team is higher ranked, you got to play in a lower percentage of the game. So right now the percentage is 30 percent uh, if you're a top 10 team to qualify for that work permit. That's great because we've seen Greg Berhalter cycle through a lot of guys. So there's a lot of young kids that probably wouldn't have met the threshold if they were 11 through 20, but now may match that threshold now that they're in the top 10. Another thing worth saying, and I think you might have understated the value of the, of the World Cup pots. I mean, it's not it's not very often that a CONCACAF team can sniff being in that in that A pot. The I'm one time I can remember it that. happening is 2006. There you Mexico go. was A in their, in their group, and their group was, uh, Portugal was in there. 
Okay, so, so that didn't help. But Angola and Iran, I mean, Mexico walked through that group playing terribly. And if you can be a top 10 team, you got a shot at being the best team, at least, or the top team in your group, dude. That sets you up for, for the Qatar World Cup where two teams are gonna go through from each group. If you win your group, you're playing a second place team. If you come in second in your group, you gotta play one of the top eight teams in the world in that round of 16, and you're probably going home before the quinto partido. So don't sell, don't undersell the value of what this means to a potential World Cup run. Go ahead, get your time out. Okay, uh, I'm glad you mentioned 2006. Uh, by the way, how did that end for you no, in 2006? No, no, no. Okay, no, no. N- never, 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 okay. Don't worry, don't worry about that. Maxi Petro Golazo. <laughs> okay. That. Do you realize that in 2006, in May of 2006, the U.S. men's national team was ranked fifth in the world? Okay. How did that World Cup go for them? Zero yeah. wins, two losses, one draw, six goals against, two goals for. They went home packing in one of the saddest things I have ever seen. The last remaining image I have of Claudio Reyna is that game versus Ghana and him going out injured, giving out that goal. So it's not a guarantee of anything, my friend. Okay. So World Cup... If you're going to have a realistic chance of winning the World Cup, you have to beat who you're going to beat. Don't think that because you're ranked higher, it's going to get any easier. That's why I said it in quotations. It's just as hard. So I was going to ask you how much stock you put in these FIFA rankings. It doesn't sound like a whole lot based on what you just said. Uh, I guess the the bigger question here then is, are U.S. and Mexico really top 10 teams in the world? Because to me, it's... uh, it's not even close. Like, they're not even close to top 10 teams. No. No. Realistic, realistic level... Honestly, it's somewhere probably between 15 and 20, give or take. There's somewhere yeah. in there. And by the way, World Cup, World Cup is an indication of this. Because look where these teams always end. Yep. Second round, about there. Middle oh, of the pack. Wait, wait. Mexico always ends in the second round. You're correct. Because the U.S. will get to that fifth game. Costa Rica has gotten <laughs> to that. You're absolutely right. Apologies to, to the U.S. and Costa Rica. What happened Rica in the last one. World Cup? Apologies. Oh, you want to bring up old memories? What happened in 2018? No los vi. Estuvieron? No, that's right. <laughs> A child. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, proceed. No, no, no. I, I just think it's 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 very easy to make the case that these teams are, are not just not top ten teams, Herc, but not even close. Like the five big leagues, throwing Belgium, Holland, uh, Portugal, throwing Brazil and Argentina. Any of those teams, if Mexico or the U.S. were to play those teams ten times, I, I would I would say m- maybe one win, maybe two. That doesn't tell me that you're close to the top ten. No, and, and, and you're you're going like the Europa League level. What about? further if you want to go like Switzerland, if you want to go Wales. I still totally. think there's some issue there. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Enough on the uh, FIFA rankings because we just dogged it but then talked about it for, uh, for five minutes. <laughs> let's get to the CONCACAF Champions League. Rayados Cruz Azul, first leg last night in Monterrey. Now, Rayados wins this game, right? Uh, one nothing, no problem there. They get an early goal from Maxi Mesa. I think it came in the ninth minute. They were pretty much in control at that point but didn't take advantage further. They outshot Cruz Azul 15 to five. The question here is twofold. Did Rayados do enough? And is Cruz Azul okay going back to the EFE down just one nothing? No, 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 no. Rayados did not do enough. Give a lot of credit to Andres Gudinho. Uh, Jesus Corona, the starting goalkeeper, who's about like 42, 43 years old, injured. He's gonna be out the first few months. Jurado is with the Olympic team. Gudinho comes out of nowhere and he's been their best player thus far this season. He was massive. Look at this, another good save on Funes Mori. Funes Mori cannot find the back of the net. He is stuck on goal 122. The next goal will break the all-time goal-scoring record in Rayados history, who Chupete Suazo and him actually hold right now. It's the same old story for Rayados. They didn't do enough. They're not scoring goals. They haven't been scoring goals since the end of last season. They're not scoring goals this season. Funes Mori still can't find the back of the net. And Cruz Azul, they'll take a 1-0 defeat away 
This Cruz Azul team all last season gave up 11 goals. They were the best defensive team. Now heading in to what is the next game, the second leg, whenever that gets played, I don't know what's, <laughs> when is that going to get played, sometime next year, they'll yep. be fine. Um, you know what it reminds me of, Herc? The quarterfinal between Rayados and Columbus, but flipping the script. Remember that game in Columbus? It yeah. was a long time ago. Um, it finished 2-2, and we thought, man, Columbus dominated Rayados, but they didn't take advantage of the opportunity. They left them with life for the second leg, and then Rayados cruised, right? 3-0, I think it was, um, in the second leg. Maybe that's a similar situation to what we're going to see here, though I think we have to be honest. The gap between Rayados and Cruz yes. is not the same as the gap between Cruz Azul and Rayados. And much um, well, much closer. We have to give Cruz Azul a little bit of credit here. Cruz Azul started off the season with no starting goalkeeper. They had players who were playing in the Gold Cup, players who were playing in Copa America, and players who were playing in the Olympics. So they're just getting back about eight or nine players who realistically, who actually played this game, but realistically aren't in form, aren't in rhythm with the club, who could be better in a month's time. So we had to wait months to go from the quarterfinals to the semifinal. And then, Herc, we're going to have to wait another month for the second leg of the semifinals, which seems just absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, we get it, congested schedule, but um, come on, let's build some rhythm. Let's build a cadence um, around this cadence. tournament. Do either of these two teams um, benefit more than the other from the long break as we look at their respective schedules coming up in domestic play? Cruz Azul, without a doubt. I mean, Monterrey, really? yes, because Why? because of the players I just mentioned who were missing. And, and have you heard the term campeonitis? Have you heard that term? Yes. Okay, yeah. it's an actual thing because the mental wear, the physical wear. Well, let's explain it real quick. It basically, okay. in Mexico, it's like when you win the title, you come back slow the next season. Right. And there's a reason for it, because you just, long, grueling season, long, grueling postseason, your vacation time is shorter than everybody else. Physically and mentally, the toll is harder on you. It's more. So these players who had that toll on them then go off because they're very good players and they play in international competitions like the Gold Cup, international competitions like the Olympics, international competitions like Copa America. So by the time they get together and they rest what they're supposed to rest, actually train together and be the team they're supposed to be, it's going to take some time. Cruz Azul's had maybe a week of that, if mm. that. So they'll benefit from this month to the next game. If it is a month, I don't know, probably more. You know who this doesn't benefit? The fans, the viewers, mm. the spectators. Like, if I'm trying to get into this tournament, and I think CONCACAF Champions League has a huge ceiling if executed right, this doesn't help. It doesn't help that I had to wait two months from the quarters of the semifinals. I'm going to forget what happened in this first leg by the time we get to the second leg. Speaking of first legs, Herc, we got the first leg tonight between Philadelphia Union and Club America. That game down in Azteca. Now, we know the history, Herc, um, for MLS teams in this competition against Liga MX teams. Um, now, here's the point, right? I feel like if you're an MLS team, you're going away to Mexico in the first leg. You can't win the series there, but you definitely could lose it there. Uh, taking that into account, do you think we'll see a conservative approach from Jim Curtin in the Philadelphia Union tonight? I hope conservative to an extent, but you have to attack Club America. You have to be physical with them. You have to let them know that at any time, if they take those chances like they do with their backs, push them high and forward, high and wide, you can exploit the space. And you've got guys like Casper Shabilko. you got guys who could really hurt them in transition, could really hurt them on set pieces, could really hurt them playing with a good brand. You have to do it. Club America isn't the super team that they once were. They're not the team that you should fear. This is a team that's not as deep as they were, doesn't have the pockets they once did. That wallet isn't there. And we've seen the Philadelphia Union, that's two straight away games in this competition where they've posted a shutout. In that, against whoever it may be, whether it was Atlanta or Saprissa, a very difficult place to play, they did their business, they did their worth. So I think this team can hurt them. I think America is still 
overwhelmingly the favorite. And so does Las Vegas, by the way. They're plus 650 to Philadelphia Union heading into this game. There's a reason for that. That's the MLS record in Mexico. But they're not, they're not this crazy, impossible team where you can't beat them. Uh, what's an acceptable result then tonight for the Philadelphia Union? If we say Cruz Azul was happy, content to go home, one nothing, uh, what, do you, what would you say for Philly? Well, what do they need to keep it to tonight? What's a, the worst acceptable result? 2-0, the worst acceptable. Hmm. I mean, they they, they got to try to keep it a goal's length because uh, if anything, if we've seen from Santiago Solari and this team is they're very organized. They may not be spectacular, but they're organized. They're a very good def- defensive team. They do just enough offensively. Sometimes it just coast by the leaf fans thinking like why can't this team be better but they get results so uh, for this team for this philly team you need to be just as organized just as good and you need to keep him within arm's length so i'd say a, a goal cushion is, is where you want to be all right let's move from Concacaf to uefa the super cup yesterday in belfast between chelsea and Villarreal, match ended 1-1 after 120 minutes before Chelsea won on penalties, 6-5. to five. Christian Pulisic did convert his penalty, but he didn't start, Herc. He came on in the 43rd minute for an injured Hakim Ziyech. I know it's just preseason, but are we headed towards another year of the super sub role for Pulisic? It sure looks that way. Yep. Ziyech is scoring goals in preseason, and in preseason when some of the players weren't there, uh, he opted to put Christian Pulisic in that wingback role, so he's... Looking at ways to maybe get Christian Pulisic on, you could see it that way, or just looking at ways that he's not involved in what is the real starting 11. And what worries me is that Thomas Tuchel maybe still sees Christian Pulisic as that 16-year-old that he brought up in the youth system in Dortmund who gave him his first team minutes with the first team. It worries me that he sees him that way, that he still doesn't trust him. And I think Christian Pulisic, if you look at that front line, is one of the few players that maybe doesn't have the benefit of the doubt like the rest of the players. Yeah. Do you know who has the benefit of the doubt? Timo Werner. Timo Werner has an incredible benefit of the doubt. This dude has been a failure. Like, I don't know how we can describe it any other way. They spent $60 million on him to bring him in to be the number nine. And a year later, because it just became official today, they're going to go out and spend 100 million euros to bring in Lukaku to replace him because he didn't get the job done. Now, instead of doing what Chelsea do with everybody else, players, coaches, club legends, Frank Lampard, where you don't get it done, you're shipped. In a matter of months, weeks, days, Timo Werner is now being taken out of that number nine rotation, and he's going to drop back into this group of Ziyech, Mount, Havertz, hudson Adoy that Christian Pulisic is competing for minutes against. If I'm Christian Pulisic, I'm saying, no matter what I do, I'm on the bench. And I'm looking at Timo Werner, and I'm saying, no matter what this dude does, he's in the starting lineup. That's got to be frustrating. Hey, sure, it's frustrating, but all these players that you just mentioned that weren't uh, in the academy system at Chelsea were the man somewhere else. Ziyech at Ajax, Kai, ha- Kai Havertz at Leverkusen. Uh, Ziyech was one of the guys at Ajax. He was, he was a very the good guy player. on he that team very that went to the semifinal. At Ajax in, a, in a Champions okay. League run team. And then if you look at Timo Werner, the man at Leipzig. Okay. Everybody, but, everybody who goes to Chelsea has a huge transfer fee. Now, now that this player you say is a failure and hasn't done anything, 12 goals, 15 assists in all competitions. That's 27 goals participations in a team that's ultra defensive that just won the Champions League and by the way yesterday the Super Cup so you're gonna tell Thomas Tuchel hey you're an idiot what you're doing is wrong what you're doing at Christian Pulisic is crazy it's insane look what the man has achieved he's lost five games Sebi five Mm. games in over 30 games with Chelsea doing it his way if you think because all of a sudden he's gonna play a, a, a player who doesn't light up the net who doesn't light up the scoreboard in, in Timo Werner in those interior 10 positions behind Lukaku, and it's unfair to Christian Pulisic, this is what world's football is. Right. Christian Pulisic right. is the only one 
of those that I just mentioned that wasn't the man before elsewhere. He doesn't have the benefit of the doubt. I totally. think he's a better player, but yep. not for Thomas Tuchel. Okay, yep, no, Timo Werner's definitely done enough. That's why they're bringing in Lukaku, right? Makes all the sense in the world because he has absolutely those, those Bruyne, whatever, 15-goal interventions. Lukaku himself, uh, Iguain. it happens all the time at Chelsea. You've seen this all the time. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's talk about David Ochoa, because we've been talking about him a lot on this show, and he's now made it official. He is going to make that one-time switch, so won't represent the United States, who he was with in the Nations League, instead choosing to represent Mexico, the 20-year-old RSL goalie, explaining his decision in a really long and, and, it has to be said, thorough letter in the Players' Tribune that was released today. Now, if you care about this topic, or if you care about this player, you got to go read this letter because we, we can't do it justice. There was, there was too much in it. But yeah. to kind of pare it down, we've each picked a quote or two uh, that maybe stood out to us. Herc, here's your quote, and you picked a quote that's, I think, more about identity. Quote, I realize no matter how much I try, I will never be fully American, nor will I be fully Mexican. Why did that stand out to you? You know how it is growing up Mexican-American here in the States and being part of two cultures, but also feeling like you're not fully accepted in those two cultures. You're not fully Mexican and you're not fully American. It's a lonely place to be. And when you talk about identity with these players and the love they can feel for two different countries and their cultures, it's a complex issue. A complex issue that most people won't understand unless you're a dual national. And this doesn't just talk about Mexican Americans. This is all kinds of dual nationals that deal with these identity issues. It's a lonely place to be. It's about feeling accepted no matter what your choice is. This tells me that it was more of a business decision. He's telling you of the love and appreciation and also how scared he is of both cultures. So it comes down to business. It comes down to what's best for him in the long run. Because ultimately, his heart is telling him that he feels good in both places, but maybe more here now. I'm fascinated to hear you talk about identity, but I think you're talking a lot about personal identity, right? And so um, as a Mexican-American, that's fluid, right? As, as anybody who's a dual national, that's fluid. If you're hanging out with your uh, Mexican family at a quinceanera and everybody's uh, speaking Spanish and you're drinking whatever, Tecate Pacifico, you, you might feel very Mexican in that moment. If you're with your English-speaking friends and you're at a Fourth of July barbecue pounding Budweiser's, you're probably going to feel American, very American in that moment. That's fluid. I, I don't know how much that, that plays a part in the soccer decision. I think the type of identity that isn't as fluid, strangely enough, and that does play into David Ochoa's decision is a sporting identity. When you read this article, you see that he absolutely identifies as a Mexican soccer player and as a Mexican soccer fan. And while it's, I think, sad for the U.S. to lose this player, if I'm somebody at, for instance, U.S. soccer, I'm saying, okay, I can't influence a, a player's personal identity, but through results, through better work, we can influence the next generation of kids' sporting identity, right? If you're a 17, 18-year-old Mexican-American right now, the last time you saw the U.S. in a World Cup, you were in elementary school. You're not going to be a fan of the U.S. team. You're not going to identify as an American soccer player. This kid said he was watching Chivas as a kid. He was watching the Mexican national team. And actually, one of the funniest things in this article is he's, he's how excited he is to see Hector Herrera following him on Instagram. He talks about the guys who were his heroes becoming his teammates. I, I think that identity does play a role. I don't know how connected sporting identity, though, um, is to they personal get intertwined. identity. 
intertwined, especially in this. But nuanced, but different, right? But different, right? And it's very difficult to separate it when we're talking about being a patriot. When we're talking about representing flags. Well, I don't, I don't think it's patriot. I think it's about being a fan, dude. It's about being a fan. That's what it is. We, we take out the patriotism. Take all that stuff. Just about who do you support? Who do you like? Who have you grown up um, rooting for? Can I show you the, the quote that I pulled um, from, from the Players' Tribune letter from David Ochoa? Um, because this is in response to the fact that he didn't play in the Nations League and then probably what hurt him more, not playing in the friendly after the Nations League when they faced off against Costa Rica in Salt Lake City, where obviously he plays for RSL. Quote, I'm not going to lie about it. I was frustrated. I was angry. I felt like they didn't really believe in me. So when Mexico invited me to a training camp before the Gold Cup, I felt like I had been given the green light to say yes. Um, just real quick there, I felt like they didn't really believe in me. I mean, that does, I'm sorry. That doesn't add up. You got called into the Nations League, and this kid was given the Olympic qualifying tournament. That's not insignificant. Had they had they done the job there, he might have been in the Olympics for the United States. I don't see a shortage of opportunity for David Ochoa in the in the in the short term there that he can really um, cling to. The other thing is that this is a huge decision, and when you read that quote to me. It sounds like it was a decision made at least partially out of frustration and anger. And, and that would worry me if I was, if I was in the surrounding, el entorno uh, of Ochoa. You don't make good decisions when you're frustrated, when you're angry. No, let's be honest, he's 20 years old. It's reached a, a pettiness and immaturity, but how many of us weren't that at 20 years old? And it's a reality, so it's about who you have around you, who you have to guide you, the decisions you make, but you're right. All of a sudden, if it's emotional and if it's a business decision, the writing's on the wall of why he wants to make the decision. You're looking at one way, you've got Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvat, both 26 years old, Matt Turner, 27. And that's really, and that's really at the end of the day, kind of all he needed to put in this, that's, right? And everybody would have got it. He doesn't owe anybody an yeah. explanation. Show the depth if, chart if you have and show equal, their ages. If you have equal, as a dual national, as somebody who lives in a dual culture, you can have equal love and respect for both. All you have to say is, this is where I want to go. And that would have been suffice. Absolutely. All right. So uh, David Ochoa then making the one-time switch from the United States to Mexico. Let's uh, talk about a U.S. international who chose the U.S. Had plenty of options. Jordan Pifak picking up right where he left off her last season with Young Boys of the Swiss League. Now, remember last season he was on loan there. Now he's uh, a permanent member of the squad. Two goals in a Champions League qualifying match as Young Boys advance. They're now one round away, Herc, from the group phase. Go ahead, D.C. All right, come on, Sam. You can, you can do it. it. Come yep. on. DC native, DC native for and, sure. And we is spoke he, about this Is he in your top five number nines now or what? Well, I don't even know if we have top five nine. I don't even know if we have more than five nines. But <laughs> what you want is an informed nine. So he's there. Uh, let's run it back. Another U.S. international, Ethan Horvath, making his Nottingham Forest debut in the Carabao Cup. Uh, their League Cup. He had eight saves in a 2-1 win over Bradford City of the fourth tier, Herc, though uh, some are pointing to the goal that he let in. Maybe he might want it back. Yeah, he'll want that one back. The wall didn't look like it was set quite nicely for him, and uh, it was a little central when it did go in, so he'll want it back for sure. The debate over who will be the number one continues to rage. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. What a performance from Seattle. Not just beating Tigres, man. Hanging a number on Tigres and dominating them. This is a huge statement, isn't it, from Seattle? Massive statement. And you can talk about who was there, who wasn't there for, for Tigres. What about Seattle? I saw no Jordan Morris. I saw no Nico Lodeo in the starting lineup. I saw no Stephen Fry. Why aren't we talking about the player Seattle was missing? And you know that I hold Tigres dear and near in my heart, but this isn't just any Tigres team they defeated. Well, excuse me, they humiliated, because this is a humiliating result in Mexico. I mean, that's kind of what stands out to me as we talk about, like, Seattle and the statements and the firsts. This is, a, this is the first time I can remember an MLS team beating a, a class Liga Mekis team this convincingly. And maybe some of that was, was the lineup choices, but, hey, maybe some of that was the performance from Tigres. And I think we got to give Seattle a ton of credit for that. They were very, very clearly, Herc, the better team here. And, and when you see MLS teams beat Liga Mekis teams, because it has happened in the past, it's not this convincing. So, again, as I try to make some friends back in Seattle, uh, bravo to the Sounders who continue, who no, continue no, to no, set no, the bar no, no, um, no, no, in, no. In, in MLS. Let's talk about the Tigres side of this, Herc, um, because Piojo Herrera had some comments post-game, and you'll never imagine what it was about. Hmm. Yes, you will. It was the refs. Mm-hmm. Algo en contra de, de los equipos mexicanos y de la selección mexicana. Eh, venimos a una cancha buena, un público que no es tan hostil, pero, pero al final de cuentas seguimos eh, pensando que venimos a, a jugar con todo en contra y con la obligación de ganar siempre. ¿no? Okay, so on the uh, ranking of pretextos, of excuses there from Piojo, we have a home field. We have the balls, the balls. We're playing with their balls because you know that makes a, such a difference. And then we have the ref, a Panamanian, taking out some, some uh, personal grudge against all of Mexico by focusing in on Tigres. I mean, come on. It's obviously the referee. The referee shouldn't have called a penalty kick on Christian Roldan, not a penalty kick. Uh, the referee <laughs> shouldn't have let that corner kick happen for the yep. second goal, not a corner kick. And the referee should have obstructed all the Tigres center midfielders and allowing Nicolo Dedo to dribble the ball 30 yards then shoot from 30 yards out into the upper V. I agree with them. It's the referee. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And here's mm-hmm. another thing. He contradicts himself. He just said it's the referee here. In the same breath, that same presser, he takes shots at his players. He takes shots at his team. You don't run. You don't try. You don't play that way. You play like that. You're not going to play for me. So which is it? It's, it's like he forgets what these CONCACAF refs have given him, Miguel Herrera. Do you remember the Gold Cup mm-hmm. when they advanced versus Panama versus Costa Rica? And it was the referee. It was Mark Geiger who gave him that pass to the final versus Jamaica. Yeah, you got to love those CONCACAF referees when they help you out, right? <laughs> Look, this is just becoming like way too commonplace from Piojo. The excuses. Yeah. Um, it, in some way, it reminds me of Jose Mourinho, Ooh, right? It like does. After every match and certainly after every loss or every result that doesn't go their way, you almost expect it now. And, and you know, I hold Piojo in high esteem as a coach. Um, he's done a lot for Club America. He did a great things for the Mexican national team. But... I don't know. It, every time I hear him act out like this, every time you, you, know, you see him make an excuse, it feels like 
some of that stardust is starting Maybe to wear off. Maybe he's a genius because we're sitting here talking about Miguel Herrera and the refs and yeah. not the players. Yeah. Fair enough. And maybe, maybe that's what he's what he wanted. All right, let's move on to the game from last night. New York City, or was it this morning? I don't even know. <laughs> New York City FC against Pumas. This game finished 1-1. Uh, it had a weather delay of two hours and 58 minutes. Um, that is not a typo. No, it was, it, it was that long. We waited three hours to get this thing underway. It goes to penalties, and then we got multiple saves from Julio Gonzalez. But, Herc, that's not the story. The story of this shootout is the incredible trash talking, and it's effectiveness um, from Gonzalez. I mean, he was screaming at the New York City FC players. It clearly worked. Did he cross the line? No, he didn't cross the line. Like, like Emiliano Martinez didn't cross the line when he did for Argentina. Julio mm -hmm. Gonzalez, it, it's it's what you do to gain an advantage. By the way, Sean Johnson was tremendous in that penalty kick shootout as well. I know Julio Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. I played with Julio Gonzalez. He was my teammate at Santos when we won a championship. He backed up some legends. He backed up Osvaldo Sanchez, who was a Santos and Mexican national team legend. He backed up Andres Marchesina at Santos, who is now at Porto, the starting goalkeeper at Porto, who was at America as well, Argentine national team. He's backing up right now. Talavera, Alfredo Talavera, who's a Mexican legend, the goalkeeper in that Gold Cup final versus the United States men's national team. He, this guy is ready for the next phase, ready mm. for the next step. I spoke to him before the game. I said, what are you guys coming out with? Strong line? He's like, we're coming out with what we got. That's all we got. <laughs> He's like, and you know what? I'm ready for it. Be he said, it's it. watch for me. Watch what I'm going to do. He told me these words. I'm going to play well. And he did. Wow, doing so in a uh, in a showcase event, Julio Gonzalez. Is there even a line to be crossed here? Like, you know, you're yelling and, and, and some of that's gamesmanship and I think it's fine. But then like after the save to kind of go after the guy, is there is there any line here or is just whatever works, works? Whatever works, works. Really? Yeah, I mean, as, wow, long, no as long as you're not discriminating, as long as you're not taking shots uh, in any type of racial way or like that, it's, it's valid as long as you're not crossing the line. If what you're doing is getting in the head of somebody was saying, I know we're going to shoot. Right. This gamesmanship. And, and mentally, this is what penalties are about. It's who has that mental fortitude. Yeah, so why don't all goalies do it, I guess, then, um, is the question. All right, next up, uh, we'll go back to Tuesday night. Sporting Kansas City against Leon. Uh, this one didn't need penalties. Leon scored three goals in the first half, Herc. Uh, they went on to a 6-1 to one win. Now, if you're an MLS fan, you're saying, hey, man, Sporting Kansas City is, like, pretty good. How did this happen? And, and if you're a Liga Mekis fan, you're also saying, Leon's mad inconsistent. How did this happen? Well, it all comes down to the lineup choices. Peter Vermees went with a very, very young lineup in this game, and his team paid the price. Do you think Sporting Kansas City took this tournament seriously enough, Hurt? No. And I understand, and Peter Vermees is going to get the blame as he should, and he said, blame me. He also said, listen, we're playing seven games in 22 days. We just played four games in the last 11 days. He debuted four teenagers in this game and with a bunch of second string players and it looked like what you thought it would look like. I understand what he's saying. He doesn't want to mm -hmm. risk his players. Okay, I understand that, but there are 34 games in league play. I, I, I don't understand like when the Open Cup, when teams don't take the Open Cup seriously. It's five games to a final in the Open mm. Cup. It's three games to a trophy here against Liga Amekis, who you always seem to make excuses for. When it's CONCACAF Champions League play, oh, the calendar. We're in our preseason. Oh, the salary cap. We don't have enough money. Well, now... It's in their preseason. It's their first week of. Uh, it's yeah. their first weeks, I should say, of league play. And every single year, your salary cap goes up. What's the excuse now? It always seems to be excuse an excuse with Major League Soccer. I don't get it. It's three games to a cup. 
Yeah. I mean, this question says, should Sporting Kansas City, did they take the tournament seriously enough? Maybe it should be like MLS, because I don't know that they incentivize yeah. these teams. There's no nothing to play for, really. You got CONCACAF Champions League berth, but that doesn't come in until 2023. And then I think the other thing is you got to enable these teams. I mean, these teams, Sport, Sporting Kansas City is not a big spender. They're not going to be deep enough to play in two, three, four competitions across this season. You put Peter Vermees in a spot where he has to make a, a choice that I'm sure he doesn't want to make. Peter Vermees doesn't want to lose 6-1 at home to anybody, to anybody. So I'm not going to point the finger at Sporting Kansas City before I point it up to the league offices and say, hey, if you want fans, broadcasters, and the teams themselves to take this seriously, that's on you, MLS. That's on you. you got to give these teams um, half a shot. All right, so we got three of the four quarterfinals down then in the League's Cup. we got one more to come, and it's, it's coming up in just a few minutes right here on ESPN+. Plus. Literally as soon as we're done, just click over to that tab. you got Orlando City against Santos Laguna for the last spot in the semifinals. Kickoff, 7 p.m. Eastern time. How about the big news out of Atlanta today? Gonzalo Pineda is the new head coach, Hercules of Atlanta United in wake of the dismissals of Gabriel Heinze and Frank DeBoer before that. The question remains, is Gonzalo Pineda the guy who's gonna finally return Atlanta to their former glories under Tata Martino? <sighs> wow. I don't know if it's Gonzalo Pineda because I don't know if there's one coach that can fix what's going on right now with Atlanta United. It's not like it's on the field what's going on. I think this is off the field. It no matter who comes in, what type of coach it is, you're not going to be able to fix the roster by yourself. You're not going to be able to, to fix scouting, recruiting, to fix all these things that is the roster construction on your own. This goes much deeper than that. So I don't know if it's Gonzalo Pina. It's a step in the mm. right direction because he's a very capable coach. He's going to be hard to accept for a lot of Atlanta, Atlanta United fans. I think he's a very good coach, but this goes much deeper. And it's Darren Eels, Carlos Bocanegra, and, and what they've not done since Tata Martino. I think we have to just accept at this point that the Tata Martino Atlanta United was, was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I, I don't think that's coming back ever. And, and that's kind of sad for the people of Atlanta because they had it as good as they're going to have it. And I don't know when they're going to get back to that. You mentioned Darren Eels. You mentioned Carlos Bocanegra. I think it's absolutely fair to, to point the finger at them. They missed on not just head coaching hires, but also big signings. And now we see Atlanta United, as we mentioned on the last show, getting turned away, not just by coaches, but by players um, who they're trying to track down. The other guilty party to me, the other concern here for Atlanta United, if, I, if I'm pointing fingers, Herc, what about the players? I think these players got very accustomed to, how do I say this, some of the freedoms that they were afforded under Tata Martino, and they've not been able to adjust. And they now had multiple managers who, whatever you want to say about the ball, whatever you want to say about Heinze, they, they did have some track record of success before they got to Atlanta. And neither of these coaches have been able to get through to this dressing room. At what point do we start to say, hey, wow. this is on the players? Well, when you constantly have player turnover and you constantly rip apart what is a starting lineup, how can you blame the players? Look at the Atlanta United success years with Tata Martino, Brad Guzan, uh, as, uh, Michael Parkhurst, uh, Gonzalez Pires. You you had you had uh, in the middle Laurentowitz. You had Darren. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Nagby. Then you go Tito Villalba. You go Miguel Almiron. You can go Joseph Martinez. Like where are those players? They're gone. You ripped apart what was the spine. You ripped apart what was the soul. Of this team and you're trying to plug them in here you're trying to plug them in there throw money here throw money there thinking that's the solution when you had an actual team an actual roster it's going to take time you can't just overnight construct a team 
Atlanta United then in action, Herc, over the weekend. Nice little matchup, too, against LAFC. Joseph Martinez is back from suspension, so we got a Joseph Martinez versus Carlos Vela showdown on ESPN on Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Your kick. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Perfect timing then to welcome into our show our colleague from ESPN Deportes, Alex Pareja. You can catch him on Primer Toque here on ESPN+. Plus. People sleep. Not only are we a bilingual show, this is a bilingual platform. It's a platform, by the way, where you're going to see all the La Liga games coming up this season. So, Alex, let's start kind of big picture uh, with you. And this is a question that comes from me, but it also has probably come from, let's be honest, our marketing department, our promotions department. Now that Lionel Messi is gone, who is the face of La Liga? Because somebody asked me that 24 hours ago, and I didn't really have a good answer. <laughs> Sevi, Heard, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, that's a good question. And I would say, not a, not a player, I would say a coach. I'd say Diego Pablo Simeone, because he's uh, been in Atletico de Madrid for 10 years. He's a poster boy of Atletico de Madrid. He's the leader of the pack, the leader of the reigning champions. So I would say Simeone, because he's uh, one of the best coaches in the world uh, and and that he's probably one of the most famous coaches that, that La Liga has right now when it comes to players once Messi is gone once Cristiano Ronaldo is gone there is no uh, such a thing as an undisputed number number one so it, it's it's like beauty it, it's in the eye of the beholder if you ask a Real Madrid fan uh, he would say Benzema uh, if you ask an Atletico de Madrid uh, fan he would say uh, as a player Luis Suarez maybe if you ask a Barcelona fan, well, they're still depressed because Messi left, but uh, they can say, I don't know, Pedri, they can say Piquet, uh, if you ask a Villarreal fan, maybe he says Gerard Moreno, uh, there's no such a thing as an uh, undisputed number number one, so that's why I would say Diego Pablo Simeone, uh, it's been 10 years since he arrived to Atletico de Madrid. Yeah, right now the uh, faces of La Liga are all guys in suits. Javier Tebas, Florentino Perez, Laporta. Those are the real faces. They may, be, they may be villainous faces of La Liga, but right now they are the faces of La Liga. Mm-hmm. We just also saw a report coming out of France that Real Madrid uh, have made a 120 million euro offer for Kylian Mbappe to PSG. So maybe we could have a new real number one face That'll of be La the Liga. One. Soon. That would be very, very interesting. Let's get to some other breaking news. This just coming down today. Tecatito Corona is moving from Porto to Sevilla for a reported fee of 12 million euros. Okay, so Alex, we know what Tecatito's role was at Porto. He was a regular starter. In fact, one season he was the league MVP in Portugal. I got two questions for you here. Um, What kind of role do you see Mm -hmm. him playing? Do you think he'll be a starter at Sevilla? And then what position do you think we'll see him in? Will it be the right wing that we see him in international level or that right wing back that we've seen a lot at Porto? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's 
Two pretty tough questions. I don't see him as a starter from day one. I think he must uh, prove himself and earn a spot in, in the Sevilla's uh, lineup. But I would say uh, my first thoughts were, oh, they, they got the perfect right back uh, <laughs> for replacing Jesus Navas, who's 35. But they're about to sign Molina, uh, uh, the, the Argentine uh, uh, Copa America champion. So I would say uh, the Lopetegui thinks, uh, thinks about him for a lot of different positions, so he's going to be a filler. He's going to be a right winger when, when Suso uh, is not fit enough or if Lopetegui wants to, wants to play with a, with a natural uh, winger. Uh, he's going to play on the left side when, when El Papu Gomez or, or Lucas Ocampos are not available. Uh, Lopetegui wanted that player, wanted Tecatito since uh, his days at, at Porto because he knows him, he knows that he has a lot of versatility and that is a blessing for a coach. He can play him in several positions. My first thoughts were he's going to be the right back but knowing that, that Sevilla are going to sign Molina, I would say right winger but expect him to to appear anywhere on the pitch. You're breaking some L3 hearts. Let's see if this one goes better. What's going to be Hector Herrera's role this year? Because when he goes to Atleti on a free transfer, first he's out of the lineup, then he wins the confidence of the coaching staff, then he loses the position due to injury, then some COVID concerns. Uh, what's the situation right now where Hector Herrera, uh, especially because especially there are new signings coming into Atletico, what do you see him fitting in? He's going to be Herc uh, super sub. Uh, I don't see him as a, as a starter. Mm. Uh, he has a lot of competition, not only with the players that, that were already in, the, in uh, Atletico de Madrid's roster last season. So not only Condogbia, Coque, Llorente, Lemar, Saul if he stays, but uh, add Rodrigo de, de Paul to that oh. equation. And Rodrigo de Paul is a He's an excellent player. He's, he's one of the best midfielders over the last seasons in Serie A. So I think that Herrera will have to work twice as hard as he has mm. been working uh, the previous seasons. And, and he needs to seize every single opportunity that, that, that Simeone uh, chooses to give him. But, but he's going to be a substitute player for a while, at least. Uh, he's not... He's not uh, I, don't think, I don't see him as a regular starter this season. Taking advantage of the opportunities, the key word there. He got some big starts late last season. I, I felt like he didn't take advantage of the opportunities. Maybe that's why we'll see him on the bench mm -hmm. to start this season. Let's talk about Serginho Dest, Alex, because um, our producer, Beto, in our, in our production call today stop. said, said Emerson, <laughs> Emerson's going to eat his lunch. Eat his lunch. That's a quote. Now, our producer must be a huge Chelsea fan. Maybe he saw all 89 <laughs> minutes of Premier League football that Emerson played last year. So right now, who do you think is going to win that starting job? Serginho Dest or Emerson? I think that Serginho Dest has a slight advantage that, that he was the, the starting right back uh, last, uh, last season. But Emerson knows La Liga. He has played the, the last two seasons for Betis. Uh, Kuman already praised uh, Emerson during this preseason. So it's not going to be easy for him. Uh, he needs to be more consistent, both offensively and defensively. He needs to produce more assists when attacking and he needs to be uh, stronger when, when 
time defending and, and he shouldn't be afraid only of Emerson. Think that about uh, Sergio Roberto who has ended up playing as a right back yep. for the last five, four seasons or, or even Oscar Mingueza, the, the youngster who played decent soccer last, last season. So uh, the, the best advantage when it comes to Sergio Dest is like he can also serve as a, as a left back. He can be the replacement uh, of uh, Jordi Alba. So I think he's going he's gonna to get a decent amount of playing time. He's going to be the starter, but he needs to like, get, get his claws on, on that spot because the competition will be fierce. Yeah, especially if it's a four or five man back line, that'll change for him and his opportunities. I want to stay on really quickly. Mm-hmm on breakout stars. How much longer are we going to wait for Diego Linus? Is Diego Linus' year? Is this the year for Diego Linus? Because I know Sebi's very, very keen on this. There's only one right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It should be his year. It should be his year. He's been in Sevilla. He's been playing for Betis two years and a half already. He's 20. He's still young. But I think this is the the year of make it or break it for for Diego Linus, at least Mm. at Betis. Uh, They paid a good amount of money for him. They expect him to, to break out, but he has played 48 games for, for Betis in La Liga, and he hasn't produced any single goal. Uh, that He needs to improve his numbers, he needs to start delivering more assists, he needs to start scoring, and he has a fierce competition as well. He has uh, uh, Fekir who could play, could play on that uh, right winger position. He could play also, uh, and there's also Rodri who's a youngster from, <laughs> from the Betis youth system and he's very good as well. He's also a lefty who loves to play on the right hand side. There's also Cristian Tello, uh, Aitor Ruibal. There's a lot of competition for him, so he better uh, start producing some numbers this season. Otherwise, uh, there are fans, uh, Betis fans, who are very, very, very very demanding are going to start um, whispering every time or murmuring every time that he doesn't he doesn't finish uh, a play speaking of mexican players in la liga and mexican players that are looking for a breakthrough jj macias the move from chivas to getafe um, let's put an over under on goals that he'll score across all competitions here and herc i'm gonna get your answer on this too i'm gonna set that over under at nine and a half so basically the question is does jj macias playing for getafe who i know could not score at all last year get to double digit goals in his first season in la liga alex what do you think I think that he's going to score over 9.5 goals in, in La Liga because uh, Getafe, yeah, yeah, you love, you, I knew that you would love that, that, that answer. Uh, <laughs> think about Getafe. Getafe transitioning from a very defensive coach, a very defensive manager, uh, Jose Bordalas, who is now in charge uh, at Valencia. Uh, they're transitioning from that defensive soccer to a more offensive approach uh, with, with Mitchell, with a former Real Madrid legend yeah. uh, who's uh, serving his second tenure as Getafe's coach and he loves playing offensive soccer. So it's not only up to Macias to get to that to that number of 10 goals. It's also up to the team, the way they digest this change of approach when it comes to playing soccer. But I'm pretty sure that Macias will score a few goals. And I would say, why not? Over, over nine, because uh, yeah, he's, he has the skills and, and he needs to prove that he has a hunger to do it as well. He's a very good... I would love to agree because I'm a huge fan of JJ Macias and I've seen what he's done at Leon and at Chivas. And Sebi's saying he didn't score goals last year. Well, that's because he didn't have the service. He didn't have the players around him. When he was at Leon and he had said service, he would score plenty of goals. The issue with him right now is his health. 
He's not proven to be healthy in the last two seasons. If he can be healthy, stay on the field with Michel, who's a very, very offensive coach, and get opportunities, I have no doubt he will score goals because he's streaky like that. But nine and a half is a big number, especially for a young player, this young Mexican player who's never played abroad. I would love for him. I just don't see it. I'm taking the under. Very well. We'll leave it there. Alex Pareja, thanks so much for your time. You can catch our man on Primer Toque, again, available right here in Spanish on ESPN+. Plus, We mentioned Getafe. You can see them in the La Liga Lidlifter, Friday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, taking on Eunice Musa's Valencia. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Well, Herc, it's not every day, on this show at least, that we get to talk to a major league soccer owner, right? These are heavy hitters. But when we got a chance to talk to Mark Wilf, the new owner of Orlando City SC and Major League Soccer, and Orlando Pride of the NWSL, we jumped at it. Here's the best from that sit-down. Thrilled then to be joined by Mark Wilf, new majority owner of Orlando City and Major League Soccer and Orlando Pride in the NWSL. Mark, welcome to the show and welcome to the crazy world of American soccer ownership. Are you ready for it? I am ready. Ready to go. Very well. Um, so look, every day you wake up and you got a lot of money and I'm sure there are a lot of like investment opportunities in front of you. Why soccer? Why now? Well, great believers in, in the sport of soccer. Uh, personally, I'm a, I'm a soccer dad four times over, so I, I know about the great game, but watching it, of course, over the years, just knowing how sports can bring a community together, uh, being involved with the uh, Vikings the last 17 seasons, we know what a great uh, asset it is for a community. And just being around the game, we were minority owners in Nashville for a couple of years. We've seen what the MLS has done, and we just see the growth potential. World Cup coming up in a few years, uh, both men and women, Olympics, all the other opportunities, and MLS is certainly going to be a big part of it. And I know in America, as young people get more and more engaged, uh, soccer is going to be upward and onward. Mark, I don't have to tell you this. We're in America. People here, they want the best. Um, right now, Major League Soccer is not the best soccer league in the world, or, or maybe even if we're being honest, close to that conversation. Do you see a time period in the not too distant future where MLS will be among the top leagues in the world? I really do. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're investing. It's, it's, it's uh, investing in the future. So there's no reason uh, why not. Um, as the game grows, as viewership grows, as engagement grows. But part of that is, and part of why we're impressed is about investment. We've been very impressed with the ownership around the table in MLS, and it's going to take a continued investment in this business to make it grow. And whether it's uh, media, whether it's uh, the fan experience at these games, which is, by the way, anyone on this who's listening who hasn't been to a, an MLS game, or even if they have, make sure you bring your friends to the games because they're super exciting, they're a party atmosphere, and it's something that I think as people get more and more exposed to it, it'll just keep growing. I'm glad you talk about investment because when you talk about the best leagues, then obviously you're going to have to have the best players. One of the main features of MLS right now is a pretty restrictive on a global scale 
salary cap. Do you see a future where that salary cap is loosened in order for owners like yourself to go out and bring the best players in the world to this league? Well, what we like about the approach here is that it's not just uh, target, uh, target practice in terms of acquisitions. It's about building the game so that the league becomes more and more stable and on a step-by-step -step basis we can get to that level. It's not going to happen overnight, we realize that, but uh, it's going to take investment in the sport to help it grow so those salaries can increase and the ability to compete on those global markets can increase as well. But we as ownership are committed to investing in youth soccer, investing in the transfer market where it's helpful, and to grow the game that way. And I, I have full confidence we are going to step this league up every single day. One, let's say, factor that American soccer doesn't have right now is an open system, uh, promotion relegation. We do see it over in Europe, and it's a big part of the sporting culture of, of the game, of, of the beautiful game, the world's game. The response that we always get here is, well, MLS owners would never go for it. They, they wouldn't want to risk their investments. Do you see any potential from promotion and relegation um, for that risk for you and other owners in MLS down the road? I'm not going to, you know, coming in here very new to this particular seat, I'm not going to speak to that specifically. Of course, it's been a part of the attractive model of MLS is that it is the type of system it is. But as things evolve, I can't speak to the future. But I will tell you that uh, this has been a, a real belief in MLS as a league. That's why we invested, as well as, 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 well as the NWSL. Uh, I don't think we've touched on the Orlando Pride. But part of the excitement of this acquisition for myself and my family is uh, the also the ability to not just grow the game of soccer for men, but for women as well. Uh, we met with the Pride players this morning as well, and uh, we really have great belief in that uh, in addition to the MLS. Yeah, let's talk about the National Women's Soccer League then. Just as you kind of go into this investment, how important was it that it wasn't just an MLS team you're buying, you're also getting a National Women's Soccer League and I, team. And I think you can almost make the argument, if you're going on star power, there's much more American star power in NWSL than there is in MLS. It certainly was a factor in our acquisition. And I think uh, empowerment, women athletes, uh, the women's soccer sport, uh, something not only do I, am I passionate about and I love it, but it's something I do believe also has great growth potential. So uh, that combination and also uh, touching all our fans, uh, the ones that are interested in the men's field or the women's or both. Uh, it just gives us a, an opportunity to be broader and more engaged in the community by having that uh, multiple involvement. Mark, it's not every day here on Football Americas that we get to talk to an owner of a major league soccer team. So we're super grateful for the time. Congratulations on your purchase of not just Orlando City, but Orlando Pride of the NWSL as well. And we look forward to having you in the American soccer community. Well, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to seeing you again soon. Well, Herc, they'll never accuse us of uh, not being willing to ask the awkward question, huh? What do you think of Mr. Wilf's response there on promotion relegation? What do you want him to say? I make all this money, you want me to just lose it right now? I just made an investment, you want me to say I'm willing to give it up? No, you know, it's a good question. Uh, he didn't fall into the trap. I would have loved to hear his real comments, real thoughts on what it would be like to have promotion relegation in this country, but very interesting to say the least. Absolutely. All right, uh, we don't have too much time left, so let's run it back USL style. This is from my beloved Pittsburgh Riverhounds, Canardo Forbes with Herc A. Sweet Volley. <laughs> Look at this. That is dirty. Where's the keeper? Throw a glove at it. Nah, it's not going to change anything. 
Genardo Oh my goodness, Genardo. Shout out to my guys, uh, Mark and Dawson Rhodes and the Clarion River Strikers. They were the ones texting me from the game. Say, hey, you got to put this in the show. One more bit of business. Johan Vasquez from Pumas to Genoa, now official. He's headed to Serie A on loan with an option to buy. Herc, a big opportunity, but one that comes with big expectations, too. Huge expectations. You've seen the center backs lately for the Mexican national team. They are very long in the tooth, if you will. He's the next generation. He's already drawing comparisons to Rafa Marquez. People are asking if this is the next Rafa Marquez. Settle down. Take a breath. Take a beat. Very good player. Let him be. All right, Herc, this is not PTI, at least not yet. And we don't have the budget for a stat boy. But uh, every once in a while, Herc, uh, we do make mistakes. And by we... I mean me. Uh, I was a donk a little bit earlier in the show. I got my Emersons mixed up. Yeah, uh, I, like, I substituted an Italian Emerson for a Brazilian Emerson. Obviously, uh, the won, Emerson that will be... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Emerson <laughs> that'll be uh, competing with Sergio Des for right-back minutes uh, played at Bethis last year uh, and not 89 yeah. minutes at Chelsea. Okay. So my apologies to everybody, including our producer, Beto, um, who still who still is hating on Sergio Des. Doesn't think he's going to be able to hold down and that spot. And he's a Barca fan. His words, his words, not mine. All right, that'll do it uh, for this edition of the show. Make sure to catch us next Monday here on Football Americas. Always with you on ESPN+. Plus. El Fenomeno. The only one. What a beautiful player. Man, he's so good.